Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. What's up, everyone? Welcome. Hey, YouTube, I'm back on. Okay, we're back. Not that we had a ton of views <laughs> through YouTube, but some people were requesting it. And frankly, the reason why I was not sharing to you YouTube was because I did not have the time or bandwidth. But now we have two people helping us edit these videos and put the, putting them on YouTube. So a sincere thank you to them. It's good to be back. I hope you are all doing well. If you're a first-time listener or watcher, welcome to the podcast. My name is Tim. I'm the host of the show. We also, as new evangelicals, do a bunch of other things. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. We do Zoom communities. We have, we have a Facebook community. So we do a lot more than just podcasting. But I like podcasting because I like long-form conversations because so many of the topics that we have to talk about require deep dives. So on this episode of the podcast, I brought on Trey Pearson. Now, I'm just going to read a little bit of Trey's bio on his website. With his band Everyday Sunday, Trey Pearson has sold hundreds of thousands of records and amassed millions of streams. He has scored five number one US singles and 20 top 10 hits. His song, Wake Up, Wake Up, was the most played Christian rock song of 2007. Now, Trey grew up in that world, he was married, and then he came to grips with the reality that he was gay. And I'm going to let him tell the rest of the story in this interview. So thanks for being here and get ready for, for a great conversation. That being said, as we've said recently, we are officially funded at our monthly foundational goal. We do everything paywall free. And here's what that means. It means that you do not have to pay us anything monthly or any one-time fee to access any of our content. Sometimes creators, rightfully so, um, create Patreon accounts, for example. We chose not to do that because we don't believe in withholding our help or content from anyone who needs it. So we trust the generosity of the community to donate to help cover the costs. And wow, so many of you have stepped up. Our foundational goal is met, which is huge. And so I'm so grateful for that. However, if you do want to help us continue our work and help us go to that next level of funding that we need to create better content and also do more community-focused things, you can click on the link in the show notes and you can donate. We are a nonprofit, which means all of your donations are tax-deductible. If you can't donate, I totally get it, right? Inflation's high. I'm poor. I, I, I That's me talking to myself, not to you. I totally understand that, okay? If you can share the podcast, share our content, that's a huge huge um, way of, of being involved with our community and helping us that costs absolutely nothing. And of course, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mad Priest Coffee. I'm a big fan of this coffee company. They're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They're family owned. They have a great brand on point, really um, um, uh, giving some great satire to the evangelical culture that we grew up in. I personally love the Dark Night of the Soul blend. Um, I recommend checking them out. You can click on the link in our show notes. And if you go to their website and buy anything you want, try their coffee, if you put promo code, code TNE20 
in the promo code button, you will get 20% off your order. So check them out. They do great stuff. I love their coffee, love their merch. They support really great social causes like, like uh, immigration um, uh, reform. They support uh, ending Christian nationalism and their campaigns are awesome. So check them out. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my interview with Trey. Talk to y'all later. Well, all right, Trey Pearson, you're on my podcast. I'm honored. It is an honor to have uh, you on because you're a fellow musician and I'm a musician. That's what I was brought up in the church doing. I still play professionally. I'm a drummer. So I'm looking forward to, you know, of course, we're going to talk about your story, all that good stuff, but hopefully we're going to find some time to kind of nerd out a little bit, you know, on the music yeah, side of things. Yeah. I want to talk about how you produced your new album. So we'll get into all of that. But I wanted to say thank you so much for making time to come onto the show. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. As I told you via text uh, conversation, I'm a fan of your work and what you do. And I can't even remember who turned me on to you. It might've been Trip Fooler. It could have been a million like Instagram stories I've seen, <laughs> but like I've been following you for a while now and I, I, I love it. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I'm honored. Um, why don't we start here? I'm aware that, that you were in a, a band back in the day called Everyday Sunday. And I do have to confess. Yes. I, I, I checked out your music before we started recording. I should have followed and known your band when it was around, but I, I didn't. I was I mean, I was into Emery, <laughs> Hawk Nelson, Shower sure, Card. Yeah. I mean, the music I'm listening to, I'm like, oh, this kind of fits in with, with some of the vibe. But for some yeah. reason, I, I just missed it. So give Never us Never fell on your radar. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how. We can blame my homeschooled upbringing, I guess. I was too sheltered, even for your own music. But why, <laughs> why don't we start with your background? Who is Trey? And, 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 and what do you actually do right now? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in super conservative Christian home outside of Columbus, Ohio. I definitely grew up believing that God loved me, and I loved like my faith and the Bible and all that stuff. I really wanted to understand that, and so I was a Bible nerd as a kid. I read the Bible all the way through six times as a teenager. I memorized the book of James. I was in Bible Bowl. We had buzzers, really oh, yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so probably like you, um, when I, I wasn't homeschooled, but when I was uh, 14, I got invited to this mega church youth group and there they were all about Christian rock music. So I'd kind of heard of Christian music before that, like Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and DC talk. Like I right. got my sister's friend gave her a DC talk, uh, free at last, uh, oh. album. And she didn't want it. So she gave it to me. And that was my introduction to sort of, you know, Christian pop rock music, I guess. And so um, it was really getting involved in this mega church youth group that I found out about all these other bands that I got into, like All Star United and Seven Day Jesus and Five Iron Frenzy and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. um, got really into the rock side of things. Didn't know um, much about the more adult contemporary side, but I was very intrigued because you know, I grew up teaching myself how to play piano. I did professional theater downtown Columbus growing up. And so all of a sudden I'm in this youth group where there's hundreds of kids and there's uh, kids and there's people that will write songs and play them for the youth group. And I just thought, oh, that'd be fun. So I put together a band and uh, started performing there, you know, and by the time I was uh, 
out of my freshman year of college, I ended up signing with a big Christian record label out of Nashville. Audio Adrenaline owned it. Um, we put out our first two albums with them. Had some success with that first album. You know, one of our songs ended up the sixth most played song of the year on Christian radio in the country. Wow. Uh, by, by the time our third album showed up, we got our first few number one singles. And uh, we had the number one most played Christian rock song of the year with our song, Wake Up, Wake Up. So I was very immersed in that world. And I uh, also, of course, I'm in my early 20s trying to figure out uh, love and wanting to experience romance and uh, not trying to think of any of my feelings towards guys as being romantic and mm. dating girls. And so very compartmentalized and just really wanting to honor God with my life and also wanting to experience intimacy and being very confused by a lot of it. And I think it really, to be honest with you, I just fucked with my head a lot because I was trying to experience intimacy. And the closest I could uh, feel was like these relationships I had with guys. So I really fell in love as a Bible nerd with this passage in the Hebrew scriptures with Jonathan and David and their intimacy. And I just thought since I was like 13, like literally till a handful of years ago, if I could just experience that kind of intimacy with a guy and not think of it as gay, then I wouldn't have to be gay. And then, mm. and so, you know, that was one thing I was looking for, but then I also really wanted to experience romance and falling in love. And I thought that was supposed to be something different. And so I dated a few girls never made out with a girl or anything like that. But, you know, definitely was in purity culture where it was easy not to like be tempted to sin (laughs) or at least, uh, at least what I thought. And I just thought, well, if I wait till my wedding night, everything's just going to magically work. And so, um, I dated this girl in my mid twenties that, that wake up, wake up album had just come out. It was doing really well. And I just thought, you know what? I love hanging out with this girl. We're really good friends. Uh, we love doing stuff together. And and maybe and I could see myself raising a family with this person. So I asked her to marry me. And we got married and um had never even made out before. Like the most we'd ever done is like a pet kiss goodnight. And you know, heads up to any gay guy, just because you have a girl best friend doesn't mean you should marry them. But you know, I'm so kind of brainwashed since I was a kid to believe that falling in love had to be with a girl. And so I put all my beliefs into that and, you know, all of a sudden got married and had to find out very quickly uh, that it was going to be a lot more difficult than I ever realized it would. And I think all those deep internal fears were coming true. And I also was hoping it was going to change and get better. And all of a sudden I found myself several years into a marriage with two kids, uh, still hoping that things would change that I was hoping that first week of my wedding. And, and it really took me until then, um, for, it was a very taboo thing, kind of our lack of intimacy in our marriage to finally face the truth. And finally we came to a point where, uh, she finally asked me for the first time in our marriage, if I thought I might be gay and I'd never been able to admit that to myself, but I was, you know, like, you know, touring around the world with my band, seeing different cultures, like, or, you know, in Europe and in South America, and even around the US, seeing that, you know, a million different churches with different beliefs, I started to realize 
that a lot of people thought a lot of different things. And so for yeah. me, uh, with trying to always like, you know, I, I was that person who always wore my faith on my sleeve until it didn't work for me anymore. Right. And I um, found all kinds of things in my 20s that weren't working for me anymore. And I found this guy named Rob Bell doing these uh, NUMA videos, those short films. Of course, films. Rob and, Bell. <laughs> and that was like bring this thing that I'd been so attached to since I was a kid. It was bringing new life to me in new ways. And I was seeing things differently. And I got, I ended up getting like, his first book, Velvet Elvis, uh, rocked my world. It scared me the first time I read it. And, and then the more I went back to it, the more I opened myself to, to wondering if it could, some of these things could be true. And, um, I got the chance to meet him a couple years later. And to be honest, he became a friend and a mentor of mine and really challenged me and never gave me direct answers, but would have me read books and then tell him what I thought about them. And so we'd have these long conversations about, uh, I, I would spend way too much going into notes about what, what I thought these books meant. And, um, over that time, I started to really unravel all these assumptions I'd had since I was a kid and had been given. And I remember the first time I sent him a message and I was like, hey, uh, do you think it might be possible God didn't write every word of the Bible? <laughs> and, you know, I'm married at this point. I have a um, a kid and I think he probably just got the biggest kick out of that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, what do you mean when you use these words? Like, uh, uh, um, inerrant and infallible and, right. you know, just right. really like, but like that was rocking my world at the time. Totally. And, yeah. and it just really, so I was already on this journey as I'd gotten married, as I'd started having kids of slowly deconstructing, but it wasn't really until you know, several years into my marriage that I got to this point where I didn't see the Bible in the way that I used to, where I didn't, I remember the first time I told my wife at the time, my former wife, I thought, Hey, I'm not so sure. I think it's a sin to be gay. I still couldn't accept that as an option for myself because I'd committed my life to this person. So I'm still doing all this compartmentalizing, but I remember, um, distinctly having that conversation and she was like she was working with the gay guy and she's like yeah i'm not so sure i do either and it was like this thing that we were wrestling with and still not ready to go there yet for ourselves and so so by the time she had asked me if i thought i might be gay i had never been able to admit that to myself let alone anybody else yet at that point but we were just continuing to fall apart in our marriage and so i had all this stuff running through my mind about oh gosh if i say no then i'm then i'm digging even further and things are going to be even worse than they already are but like how can i say yes i've never said that before and and so all i knew in that moment was to say i don't know but i think i need to get help and Mm -hmm. fortunately um through rob i actually met trip fooler uh i was in la on tour Rob was out in Hawaii. He's like, oh, you should meet Trip. And then I had this other friend, Bo, who also was a fan of Trip. And I had listened to Trip's podcast. And and Trip invited me to this festival called Wild Goose Festival oh, the yeah. year before. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met the first gay pastor I'd ever met. And he invited me to come out to his church in San Diego. And so, like, you know, my world was definitely progressing. So by the time I had to face my own reality, I didn't think it was a sin to be gay anymore, 
but I was scared of what that meant for my life and how that would affect me and uh, my commitment to my wife and my re- relation, my dynamic with my kids. And, and so a uh, long story, a little bit shorter. <laughs> I finally, uh, I reached out to an affirming pastor friend of mine for the first time in my life. I said out loud to somebody, I think I might be gay. And I just started bawling. Mm. And um, all of a sudden this thing released in me that I had been holding in since I was a child. Wow. And, um, and through that time, he got me with a therapist friend of his. And I slowly came out to myself and my wife and my family and my friends and then that next year I came out publicly and, um, that was six years ago. And so I, uh, now, you know, I, I hung up my old Christian rock band. I started over as a solo artist and I did, I really lost everything when I mm-hmm. came out, you know, uh, not just my career, but like, you know, like I grew up here in Columbus. I live in Columbus now. Uh, but I felt like I'd been transplanted to a new city because, all of my church friends, most of my family, everybody was gone from my life. People that said they still loved me that all of a sudden didn't want to be in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, I, I was about to go through a huge journey of grief and processing. And I, I came out and that was, I guess, a pretty talked about thing. I ended up talking to the New York times and billboard magazine and CNN and NBC. I was on the view and it ended up becoming the number one trending topic in the world on Facebook and Twitter and all that. And, uh, I just started over. And so ever since then, I just started over as a, as a musician as well and put out my first album, love is love. And now, uh, putting out my new album, somebody, you know, wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that with us and with the community. There's a lot there I want to unpack. My yeah. first question I'm thinking about is what was um was it difficult, you know, when you're when you told your former wife and finally, yes, I, I think I am gay, what did that process yeah. look like for you and her now that you have kids in the mix? I mean, I have two kids myself, you know. And obviously yeah. as being parents, we obviously love the hell out of our kids and want to do whatever we can for them. Uh, but, but there, but there also are like parts of us that need to also be who we are as human beings. Uh, so yeah. what was that like for you and in, in, in your former wife to, to make that happen? It was scary, you know, yeah. uh, because, you know, all of a sudden we're like, ah, oh, we didn't want to be away from each other. We didn't want to be away from the kids, but we also knew this wasn't working. And I think uh, the best advice I got at the time was that there is no way I'm ever going to be what she needs me to be. And she's never going to be able to be what I need her to be. But like what our kids don't need is two parents miserable trying to stick together for them. And, and the advice I was given is, hey, your kids need you to be your best self. That way they know it's okay for them to be their best selves. Mm. And I honestly, I think that was such a freeing moment for me where I was. I never believed before that I was ever like going to be uh, my best self. And I don't even think I knew what that was at the time, but I knew I was not happy. I knew that there were like, you know, like for so much of my life, I'd been convinced that all those feelings I had towards guys was a temptation from the devil and that it was a sin and the thorn in my flesh, you know, to trigger everyone with Christianese, you know, (laughs) like, uh, 
I just, I thought that, and, and I hated it. And I didn't know why I couldn't experience, like, I, I knew that I wanted to experience like love and deep intimacy and I desired it so badly. And, um, I think I had just given up hope that I would ever get to experience that fully. And you know, it was, it was depressing. It was, uh, paralyzing. And I think so once we started to kind of face that me and my, my ex-wife, um, it was scary, but like, it was also the most freeing thing. And when I did, like, once we started doing therapy, by the time I actually did come out to her, I will say like, it's not always been the easiest since then, but like in that moment, she was very loving toward me and she cried and hugged me and told me she loved me. Mm. And she was proud of me for being able to be honest with myself. And I think it probably set her free in so many ways too. Right. Because she was probably wondering for those years why, why she wasn't experiencing that intimacy too. And I think probably on some level, we both wondered some of these things, but we couldn't go there. And we were both paralyzed by this fear and taboo uh world that we grew had grown up in and um and so it was scary but it was also freeing and um of course like you know from the night my life kind of hit the fan till like that was the end of september to the end of that year for that three months i promise you there were not five days that i didn't completely ball my eyes out mm-hmm. like every day it was just like it was it was being overwhelmed that i my life was never going to be the same again it was being right. overwhelmed that i was finally facing this thing i was so scared to face my entire life and so um it was a million emotions and you know in so many ways like losing all the people in my life i uh, felt like sucker punch after sucker yeah. punch after yeah. sucker punch and and then there were these uh, exciting, hopeful moments. And, and slowly, uh, it became more and more hopeful. And, um, you know, with the kids, we share them 50, 50. We have since, um, the first week we decided not to live together anymore. Uh, you know, we were able to explain to the kids, Hey, we've always had one loving home. Now you're going to have two loving homes. And, and, you know, um, my daughter lived, she was only six at the time. My son was two. So he had no clue. And, uh, and, and, you know, my daughter, like her only question was like, well, will I have like a bed at both places? (laughs) Both houses? It's like, yeah. She's like, okay, cool. Like she didn't care. Like she was like, whatever. And so, um, you know, from that moment to like, um, Fast forward to after months of slowly coming out to family and friends, two weeks before my story came out publicly, my daughter asked me one day, she's like, dad, am I, I, am I ever going to have a stepmom? And I had been like trying to think about how to talk to her about this and nobody had any good advice for me. (laughs) And, uh, like literally, you know, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. it's like, oh, you know, even Rob, he's like, oh, you'll know when the time goes. If Rob Bell has something for you, there is no (laughs) answer. No. And so, uh, but in that, in this moment, because I really wanted to talk to her before anybody else tried to, and I knew my story sure. was going to be out there. And sure. um, she's like, Dad, am I ever going to have a stepmom? And thank God I could say this now because it was after gay marriage got legalized nationally. And 
with everything going on with our Supreme Court yeah. right now, it's scary to know, you know, who knows what could happen in the future. But thank God I could say this now. But I said, you know what? Uh, a lot of times boys marry girls, but sometimes boys marry boys and sometimes girls marry girls. And if daddy ever gets married again, it'll be to another boy. She's like, really? And I was like, yeah. She, she thinks about it for a second. She's like, that's awesome. And that was it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's never had been brainwashed to think there's anything wrong with that. And so it was just, uh, ever since then, it was always easy. You know, I think a couple weeks later, she saw a magazine and on the magazine, uh, it's a big Columbus magazine. Uh, it said it had me on the cover. It said gay period, Christian period, rock star period. And she's six. She's learning to read. She's like, daddy, what's gay? And I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't explain the whole Kinsey scale, but I was like, well, you know how I said sometimes boys marry boys and sometimes girls marry girls. And she's like, okay. And so, um, you know, I think thankfully my kids, uh, not, you know, now six years later, my daughter's 12, my son is eight, which is nuts. And, uh, they've grown, they've grown up in a world where they know that love is love. And, um, I'm very thankful that, you know, that I was able to get to a place where I could accept myself and raise them in a world where they can see me being my best self. And, and so it definitely has not been easy, especially that initial separation, but gosh, I look at where I am now versus where I was six years ago. And it is night and day. Like, it still blows, it blows my mind to this day. Like it does feel like a different lifetime ago. And I just can't believe I lived in such a dark cloud for so long. And there's so much about that time that I regret that I hate that I, that, that feels so awful. And at the same time, you know, I look at my two kids and I think, oh, well, I wouldn't trade the world for them. And all I can do is with, what I have now and where I am now. And so all the work that I do now with my art, my music um, and my activism, it's just me trying to create a world where people, especially LGBTQ people can grow up loving themselves and having good relationships with themselves and with others. And that kind of drives, drives the work that I do. What, um, what was it like for you? You made a comment that stuck out to me that I think a lot of people who grew up in purity culture would also catch where you said something to the effect of, you know, I was just hoping that on my wedding night, it would fix whatever the problem was essentially, you know? And I relate yeah. to that in a lot of ways because my wife and I, you know, we both waited to to have sex until we were married. And, you know, I grew up in, uh, up in purity culture and they talk up the wedding night. That's the big moment that that's when, yeah. things, you know, it just becomes alive. You know, and we had sex for the first time and I was like, it was great, but it wasn't, I wasn't like, Whoa, like, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> like wow. I thought I was living before, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, et cetera. But for you, you know, kind of telling yourself in, in that dark cloud, right? As you described of, well, if I just get married and I, and I have sex, that would fix the problem. When that happened and it didn't quote unquote fix the problem in that moment, I mean, I have to imagine that purity culture probably delayed a lot of what was inevitable because of what you were telling yourself in your head. Does that make sense? Is that kind of the case for oh, you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and now that I've had time to process you know, how I made the decisions I did, why I was so broken and paralyzed that I couldn't even admit to my wife, let alone anybody else, all the inner turmoil and things going on. And I, you know, I realized very quickly that 
first night, that first week of my marriage where my mind would even have to go to try to perform. And right. that was, I felt horrible. And, you know, like sure. Uh, sure. the thing I always say though, is like, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to think about guys or other, sure. you know, other things, but I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place absolutely, or, or not a hard place, depending on how you think <laughs> right. about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. It's too easy. Oh, <laughs> but dude, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, yes, uh, totally. it's just, I, and, and, but you know, and I, I, I was still doing the same thing I've been doing since I was a teenager, right. uh, was right. apologizing to God for what I thought about because right. I, I felt horrible, but I also didn't want to fail my wife. And I'd seen those nights that I tried not to, and I failed my wife and the right. hurt that I caused her. And, sure. and it's it just, it was, uh, it was traumatic. It was very, um, yeah, just horrible. And, um, and just, I think for how long I kept hoping things would get better and, and just now, you know, just what a cloud my, my brain was in, you know, what, what a dark place, like of, of not only a dark place, but how compartmentalized it was, how, um, man, how dysfunctional it was. It's just, it, as somebody who has always wanted to be self-aware to finally come to yeah. a point where you realize how not self-aware you were for so long, it's, it's, um, it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's just like you know, thank God I've been able to process a lot of that and, and yeah. come to where I am, to where I am now. You know, do, do you keep in touch with any of your old bandmates for everyday Sunday? Some. Okay. I, Some. I, yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, unfortunately, um, some, uh, you know, said they still love me and just aren't, aren't really, wanting to be in my life and um and some do and uh and that's 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 about yeah that's it i for the millers movie nights were once tradition now sarah could hardly get through the opening credits not on that old couch but one day while shopping on qvc.com she learned lazy boy recliners had slimmed down a bit and in just a few clicks sarah got her lazy boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by bose and with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Um, I went through a situation over a year ago where I ended up losing a lot of my community, not for the same reasons, um, but for different reasons. Sure. But it was still very painful to lose people that I thought would be in my life forever, people that I've played music with, people that I've been on records with. I've done really stuff that I'm really proud of, you know? Yeah. And part, of, part of my morning process sometimes is I'll just throw on one of those videos or songs. And I'll just kind of mourn it and be like, wow, like, first mm. off, who was that person in that moment? Who are these people? And like, I wonder what they're thinking now because I, I was under the impression that we were in it forever despite beliefs yeah. or whatever it would be. And then a lot of them kind of walked out, you know, and they don't respond to me anymore i just gave up trying so i'm just kind of curious like do you have you is that how your morning process maybe is for you at times or was where you're like i'm gonna throw on this old record and just like wow like just what 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 a moment it is to kind of mourn this in that way does that make sense yeah absolutely like you know i've kind of always tried to document my time um you know because all of a sudden you're getting the 
tour the world like with yeah. your band and right. you're, you know we've been to all 50 states been wow. to 20 countries touring and like you know um going to london for the first time with your bandmates or to amsterdam or you know to uh columbia like you know playing these festivals where there's 10 15,000 people watching you uh going to europe and they're singing your songs back to you like right. you know uh we were 21 when we signed our record deal or when our first album came out and that first uh tour we did um, it was Toby Mac's first solo tour after DC Talk. Okay. It was called Festival Cone Dios. There were three headliners. It was Toby Mac, Mercy Me, right after I Can Only Imagine blew up, and um, and Audio Adrenaline, who wait, owned our wait. record label. Hold on, stop for a second. You said Festival Cone Dios? They yeah. came through my state uh, with Serio Motion and Sky Harbor. I don't know if I, they were on the tour definitely in New Jersey when I saw them. And Newsboys yeah, yeah. was headlining. So I'm not sure if it was maybe a different that ring. Was the, that was the next year. Okay. Yeah. That's so, what I saw. Okay. Um, got it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So Stereo Motion, wow. they were good friends of mine. Um, and yeah. Small uh, world. Small we world. were on the same record label. Like when we were in this house in Nashville recording our first album, they, we had like the whole upstairs of the studio was like uh, bunk beds and stuff. And so they'd come stay at the studio with us. And yeah. But uh, wow. like those were some of the first friends we made down there. And okay. um and so, yeah, so uh, the three opening bands on this tour, so the middle bands were like Pillar and Out of Eden, if you remember those names. And then of course. The, three opening, the three opening bands were Us, Everyday Sunday, and then Jeremy Camp, it was his first tour, and it was Sanctus Real, and it was their first oh, tour. Oh, yeah, Sanctus Real. And Us and Sanctus Real were both Ohio boys. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind. Of, that was the beginning. And then, you know, uh, several years later, as we kind of started to do things with um our wake up wake up album we got on this thing called festival condio or not festival condos acquire the fire oh, yeah. and uh, okay. we were doing these arena tours uh -huh. and it, it was some you know fun stuff and weirdly dysfunctional stuff and and so i i look back at these videos and i have tons of video footage tons of pictures and they pop up in my memories yes. on social media yes and um that's right I, I love going back to it and some of the old bandmates i will actually share pictures and videos with and we'll have a good laugh about some really wonderful moments and so i i can remember as much as i was um going through so much heavy shit internally i can still recognize some amazing things i got to experience at the same time and i do think that even sometimes made it harder because i felt selfish for uh not being able to experience some of these things intimately and romantically because i was like man my life is so good i'm so blessed in so many ways you right, know right. and uh that was I, and, you know, I think, you know, somebody who always desired that David and Jonathan kind of relationship, being able to tour with guys and have that, you know, as so many guys that have toured in bands know, it can be like being in a marriage in so many ways, right? And yeah. um, and so I think for a long time, I thought maybe I could experience that, like, intimacy I was craving, and even though I never got to fully experience that. And right. uh but I think it probably maybe helped me stay in the closet longer. I'm not sure. It, it's, it's, I, I think I'm still processing those things some days, you know? Yeah, it's fair. So where are you yeah. with your faith now? Um, you know, how do you see it? Uh, are you someone who, you mentioned the word, I think, deconstructing earlier. 
you know, and yeah. really that's an explosion that's happening. People are going in all different directions. There isn't really sure. one one path. For me, when I kind of rethought things, you know, my motive was I want to be as faithful to Jesus as possible. And I just found the current evangelical culture lacking in, in many ways. And that's kind of how yeah. I experienced what I'm going through and you know how, how I became queer affirming. All that was, was through just, I want to be as faithful to Jesus, which I believe is the center of love as I know how to be. Um, so for you, as someone who, especially being in like the Christian music world, right, you've, you've probably yeah. seen a lot of the underside of that. And and then renegotiating, you know, your your own life and kind of coming out to who you really are. Where's your faith in all of this? Yeah, you know, I I think one thing that like for me and and even uh, before I came out, as I started uh, questioning so many things, even like how I saw the Bible or what I thought about so many doctrinal beliefs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would just keep coming back to when I was confused is the two greatest commandments Jesus gave, which was to love God and love your neighbor. And so I've, and then I think maybe Paul or Peter reaffirms that later is that the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. And, and in doing so that is to love God. And I think like for me, uh, I've really become, uh, disenchanted with and not not only that just very uh kind of anti-fundamentalism totally. i i'm just very totally. against this idea that um what i believe has to be right and i've got it all figured out and if you don't believe what i believe you're wrong like just all that kind of fundamentalist idea that we're right you're wrong i'm so over all that but yeah. with that yeah. said um i'm still in love with uh the idea of jesus i love the stories of jesus I love the message of Jesus that, you know, to love your neighbor is to fulfill all the commandments. And I still love, you know, we're on a ball spinning in space and (laughs) I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on, but I like believing, having faith, having hope, whatever you want to call it, that there's something more going on. I don't mind calling that God. You can call it whatever you want. The universe. Uh, I, I just, a higher power. I just, I just like believing that this is not all for nothing, you know, and I like having hope that, uh, you know, even my kids, my son is the little uh, existentialist that I was as a kid. And, you know, I remember, gosh, even like four or five, when he started freaking out, like having these moments at night laying down where he's like, daddy, like, am I going to be here one day? And you're not, you know, Mm. like those questions. And for me, using my hope that there's something more to give him hope, to give my daughter hope, to say, you know, I like to believe that somehow we're always going to be together. I don't know how that is, uh, but, you know, and so that brings me back to the faith tradition I grew up in, um, in this way of Jesus is to go, yeah, I do want to love God, whatever God is. I do uh, believe that the greatest commandment is to love my neighbor as myself. And in doing so, I do believe that brings me closest to the universe. It brings me closest to being one with other people. It brings me close to being one with God. And um, that that's sort of the foundation of my hope, my faith, my beliefs. And I still love the Bible. I think it's interesting. I think it's thousands of years of people in their time and place and culture trying to understand and, uh, and experience the divine and and I'm trying to do that now. So I still find that fascinating. I find other faith cultures fascinating. 
Uh, I don't mind if you don't have a faith or if you don't believe something. I, I don't really care what people say they believe or don't believe. And I have come to learn that often what people say they believe doesn't really have anything to do with what they think deep down. And so I'm not as uh, interested in that question as much lately, I guess, but uh, yeah. I'm I, you know, for me, it's still, it still matters. Yeah, no, I, I, I resonate with a lot of what you had to say. You know, I find that for me, part of it is this like ethical thing. Like I, I want to follow the way of Jesus, but then on a different level, I'm just kind of fascinated by the Bible. Like, how did we get it? What's going on? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, the Bible Project podcast. They do a really good job of just yeah. kind of unpacking like, okay, like here's like some some ways to look at this that maybe you, you haven't discovered before. And it's really kind of, for me, brought the Bible back to life because like you, I grew up fundamentalist. And it's like, yeah. you know, I don't want to read it. And also like, it's just, you know, John Walton says that the Bible is written uh, for us, but not to us. And like, yeah, I love that. Like, it, it takes some work to kind of get out like what's going on there. Um, so mm. I, you know, I appreciate that because I think a lot of people who are what I, what I call having a crisis of theology, it's not really a faith. It's more of theology, you know, like, okay. Like, yeah. I believe in the divine. I believe in this, you know, I, it's not about that, but like, but like the theology I've been taught about these things, I have to renegotiate yeah. it somehow because it's, it's killing me or it's killing other people and something yeah. has to give there. I would take it even one step further. Like, um, when you said the Bible is written for us, not to us, I wouldn't even say, I would say, uh, uh, the Bible was put together for us, mm. not to us, uh, because it wasn't even written for us. There's <laughs> just people writing for other people. You know, sometimes Paul's writing letters to churches. Yeah, now right, somebody right. put it together for us. And sometimes it was put together in very interesting ways, hundreds of years later, or thousands yeah. of years later. And <laughs> right. so, um, that, that, that is fascinating. I think those are important questions to ask, especially when this is a faith, uh, part of your faith tradition. Absolutely. Let's get into your activism. Then we're going to get into your new album. I, I want to unpack your new album, kind of what, what brought you to it. Um, so you're, you yeah. mentioned that you do a lot of activism work. Is, is, that, is that in the queer community? Like what kind of work are you doing that is activist? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, I do this thing called my safe space tour and I have a, you know, I have an LGBT group on Facebook called a closed group called Trey's LGBTQ Safe Space. That's thousands of LGBTQ people sharing their journeys. You know, I noticed like when I came out that I just got this influx of messages yeah. and still do of people. I think you know, a lot of it was that I chose to be vulnerable with my story and people um, reached out to me and were vulnerable back with me. And I thought it was so beautiful, but I thought, gosh, I wish all these people that are messaging me could see each other and hear each other and know they're not alone. And so I, I started this um, safe space group and it's mostly LGBT, LGBT people, but there are quite a few allies as well. And it's really for people to share their stories, their stories of heartbreak, their stories of hope, their stories of triumph, their questions. Mm. And and then all of a sudden they, they see each other and hear each other and know they're not alone. And um and so then I do this thing called my safe space tour and I tour all around the country, all around the world. And I, I kind of, you know, I take my acoustic guitar and do these storyteller events and I, I share my story to self-acceptance and I uh, share these songs that I've written that are, are kind of about that. And, um, and then I try to do, you know, stuff that I can with human rights campaign and with glad and things like that, but really um, just, and you know, and then hopefully it flows into my art as well. And, and is doing things that make a difference that help people find freedom in new ways and help people experience solidarity and, um, and to be able to see uh, 
people like them, you know? And so I think that's a big part of just like what I try to do uh, from my safe space tour to doing pride festivals and things like that. And then sometimes getting asked to speak at um, in, in, in faith spaces and, and things like that. So it, I guess it kind of is, is across the a board a little bit, but the main thing is really um, trying to use my art to, to, co- to start those conversations conversations yeah. and and have those well speaking of which you have a new album coming out is that correct yes it's called somebody you knew it comes out on july 1st um i've been just put out um my first single can't go back i have no idea when this podcast is airing but i'm releasing new songs every two weeks leading up to the album dropping and i really uh you know taken a chance to try and share a bit about each song as as they release but i'm really really looking forward to uh kind of being able to share the whole album which is an album of heartbreak and hope mm. and uh and i'm just yeah it feels very meaningful i'm really proud of the first solo album i put out love is love but this just feels like another level of of vulnerability and um i'm just really i i don't know i i, I find it meaningful and i'm looking forward to sharing it with people. I think that because of our consumeristic nature, uh, especially with music, we just assume that if we hear it on the radio, whatever the person's singing didn't really come from them, it came from like someone else, you know, or like they don't really mean <laughs> the words that like they're singing. But I think that we forget that artists oftentimes, it's really their experience, their thoughts being put into yeah. these songs. Like it's really attached to them. So, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. And so more first, so than yeah. ever for me. Sorry. I no, didn't mean to no interrupt. you're fine. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask for you, how connected are you to these songs? Yeah. And I think like, you know, talking about look, looking back at our old bands stuff and yes, finding that yes. connection. There are lots of things that I am proud of from my days with everyday Sunday. There are certain songs that mean more to me now than they even did then mm. because I think about where I was writing them from and my con- like confusion and my yearning for, um, for more. And now I look at uh, what I really was looking for. And, and so it is uh, redeeming sometimes to even play some of those old songs at my shows because they, they have so much more meaning to them now. But I will say when I came out, I feel like um, just as I said, there was like this major part of myself that felt, uh, not self-aware i think there was this huge part of myself creatively that i pushed down even going there with my writing and then when i came out it felt like a valve burst open of creativity and and inspiration to uh and uh, and countless things to write about and so um really everything i've put out especially since i've come out in all this solo work that i've done uh, feels more meaningful than ever. It feels more um, honest than ever. It feels more vulnerable than ever. And uh, I couldn't be, uh, yeah, I, I'm just very uh, proud of it. Yeah. Mm. Well, I saw yeah. that you did a song with Semler. Is that correct? Yeah, I did a, um, it's uh, on the new album coming out on July 1st. So that you won't be able to hear it until then, but it's a re-release of my song, Hey Jesus, which was one of the first songs I wrote after coming out. And to be honest, I wrote it sitting uh, within a couple feet of where I am now. Huh. And uh, wow. it, it came to me in about, honestly, in like a half hour or less. And then I spent a couple hours crying on the floor right behind me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, 
that song has kind of been uh, this this continual uh, build of more and more people keep finding out about it. And um, similar shared with me how much that song meant to, to them. And I just, uh, I thought it would be really neat to do a, a re-release of that song with similar as a part of it with me. And it, it, it feels like, uh, you know, that song, I wrote it, of course, just me, but um, I think there's so many people that tell me how much it means to them, like getting to sing it with somebody like similar feels like a communal experience that is not just mine anymore. It's something yes. to share. And, uh, and, and it's really a song that's all of the feelings I ever felt growing up queer and, um, and not being able to admit that or accept that. And then still wanting to be loved and, uh, and yeah, asked a lot of those questions and I'm really, yeah, proud of it. I saw similar with Reliant K um, when uh, Reliant K uh, came around, and I. What listened- city are you in? I'm in. I'm by Philadelphia. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. I got to go to. Uh, they did their last show in Nashville, and I got to fly down and be with them for that. And Reliant K uh, are longtime friends of mine, and uh, they were very supportive uh, to me behind the scenes when I came out. And to be honest, after I came out, I was asked to do several pride festivals and around the country. And then I got invited to a festival in California called Joshua Fest. Okay. And um, they were going to be the big Christian music festival. Christian rock festival is Switchfoot and Reliant K and Five Iron Frenzy and Skillet and all these bands were uh, playing at it. And they asked me to come be, I had played at it seven or eight times before that and was good friends with the owners and they were very supportive when I came out and they wanted me to come be the first openly gay person to play a major Christian music festival. And so I was going to go do that. And then a week before their whole like Christian sound and light uh, company threatened to uh, quit if I performed. And so I didn't want to put them in that position. And so I backed out the week before and, you know, Long story short, Five Iron ended up uh, asking me to come to the festival still and sing with them on their last song. And the uh, the Reliant K guys and the Switchfoot guys came up on stage and cheered me on. It was a really beautiful moment. And uh, and they've always been really wonderful, but it's been really cool to see them kind of take another step and uh, be vocal about their support for LGBTQ people uh, and have similar come out on tour with them and, and extend that. And, uh, you know, got to have this really heartfelt, uh, well, I ended up staying up till 2am with the Reliant K guys that night and a lot of tears were shed. And, um, they just shared how much because of their love for me, like how that was even a motivator and, and that happening. And it was just, it was just this beautiful, beautiful thing. But anyway, I got, I only wanted to say I got to see that as well. And Semler just killed it. I agree. Uh, she was awesome. I so, agree. Yeah. Also, I just want to yeah. say for the record, I'm a little jealous that you're hanging out with all these people that I love and look up to. I'm a huge Reliant K <laughs> fan. I, you know, Dave Douglas, her drummer, great drummer. He's I mean, awesome. He's super oh. tight. So yeah. anyway, um, I'm a little envious of that. He, he is lie. sworn to play drums on one of my upcoming songs. Uh, oh, so, okay. Good to know. Uh, Good to know. We, are, we are making it happen. But well, yeah, I was gonna, I, I've always loved him. I was going to ask you, as a solo artist, do you do like, is, is it a full band when you go on tour? Is the record kind of full band? Yeah, I, I listened to one of the songs. There's a little more acoustic, a lot of vocal layers, which is really beautiful. But, you know, for you, like genre-wise, 
where do you see like your music going? Or, or is that even a consideration when you're writing? Do you think about, I want to make a more rock album, more folk album, or are you like, I'm just going to write and whatever happens, happens? Um, I do eventually think about what I want the album to feel like. I don't think of it in terms as rock or folk or alternative or pop. Uh, but I mean, I know like with each song, like I have these ideas of like, oh, this is what I want the song to be like. And to me, I just sort of see like, what I'm doing, like, I feel like with the way streaming is anymore and where artists are, are always blurring lines genre wise, but like, it's probably in some progressive pop, you know, uh, some sort of thing, like, uh, some of it's a little more, uh, acoustic, some's more rock and roll. Some of it's kind of dancey and more like, you know, uh, synth driven and, um, yeah, like like to me with the album, it's just more of is it cohesive and can it do, does it make sense with each other? And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's live drums on it, and then some songs don't have drums, and uh, so you know, I don't know. Um, well, I don't ask, I don't think a whole lot about that. Well, ha, ha, let me ask you this because I I, I, I want to bring the audience into this part because I, you know the audience out there, most of them are probably not. Um, musicians or even aware of like the songwriting process so you know audience one thing that that you have to keep in mind is that when you're writing a song you can take it in a lot of different directions i mean for me that's the challenge it's not so much you know um what you know uh oh this is it's not so much how do i write a song it's what direction do i take the song in right do we add drums here do we bring it up do we bring it down how about for you writing writing your music do you have a vision of like okay, this song is going to seem like this, or do you kind of feel like there are so many forks in the road? I could do A, could do B. How do you decide which way, which direction to take a song? I think it's both. But like, if there's anything I've learned over the years writing songs is that uh, how you dress it up, like that is a very fun part and it matters, but it doesn't matter if you don't already have a good song. (laughs) (laughs) And so start with making sure you have a really good song. Then, um, and often I will have an idea of how I want to dress it up, you know, how I want it to feel vibe wise. Um, but sometimes I will feel torn between, oh, it could go this direction or this. Right. And sometimes you just don't know until you start recording it and start feeling like, oh, this way feels right. Eh. <laughs> and you try a couple of things and some don't quite hit it and you might have thought it was going to right and then all of a sudden you're like oh wow i didn't expect it to sound so good this way (laughs) and uh and and, you know those happy surprises are always fun as well but i do love dreaming up what i want uh what i envision a song to sound like as i'm writing it definitely as as far as uh you know a listener of music what what genres do you enjoy most i mean i'm a drummer i play in a top 40 band in the area i make a living doing that along with this i love it um, you know, but I'm not listening to Rihanna usually in my car. Um, okay. I'm more of a metalhead. I love. I also love Dirty Loops, though. I'm not sure if you've listened to Dirty Loops, one of my favorite bands ever. They're just uh, amazing. Oh my god, okay. they're like a funk trio that will just cool. blow your mind. I'll email you a link. But my point is, is right, that you know, I, I'm into more like you know funk, you know heavy stuff. How about for you? What do you enjoy listening to? Mm, I I uh, like. I'm a big pop head in the general sense of like, if you consider the Beatles pop or like, um, you know, uh, David Bowie or lower, like, you know, stuff that is just 
rocked culture, right? Like right. like the new right. Harry Styles. It is fantastic. But I love smart pop, and that's what is like what made the Beatles so amazing, or or even Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. But like you know, I'm I'm a nerd in that like pop music history, starting in the real. I mean, some in the fifties, but mainly the sixties with Dylan and the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Like starting then. Until now, I have this playlist in my phone that is in chronological order starting then until now. It's just all my favorite songs. It's over a thousand songs of just my favorite songs through history. So uh, I love I love that stuff. And I love, um, gosh, I love Bowie and Elton John and Queen. And I love Prince and Michael Jackson. And I love uh, I love nirvana and third eye blind and i love coldplay and the killers and i love taylor swift and harry styles and i love uh the strokes and i love um i don't know i just love good uh music with good hooks like you know but like i can get down on some white stripes or jack white uh stuff you know uh I don't know, whatever moves my soul. And sometimes it's Robin dancing on my own and that's what moves my soul, you know, and uh, I'm all for it. So I think, uh, you know, but I love a lot of 80s synth pop, Pet Shop Boys, Duran Duran, um, a lot of that stuff. Sure. I don't know. I guess it's uh, it's pretty wide. All of it. All right. Yeah. What is um, What is the best overall show you've ever seen for you? You're like, this show changed my life. What is it? Wow. Um. A few stick out. Um, gosh, one of them is right out. So I was young. I was wide-eyed about wanting to see my band do things. And I was in New York City. And the Killers had blown up with their album Hot Fuss. Mm-hmm. And they had sold out Irving uh, Plaza mm-hmm. uh, like three nights in a row on their Hot Fuss tour. And so they'd already released Mr. Brightside. and somebody told me and all these things that I've done. And, uh, that was the single at the time. I didn't even know they were in town. I was just there with, uh, visiting my friend, uh, from college and had a few days off and, um, we were just walking around. He's showing me around Manhattan and we go by Irving Plaza. We see tour buses out the, you know, out the door. We're like, Oh, we should see who's here. And we see some guy, we're like, oh, who's playing tonight? He's like, the killers. We just freak out. And we ended up talking to him for a while. He's like, oh, you're in a band. He tell, he tell me about it. And he ended up giving us uh, VIP tickets for the show that night and free beers and, you know, all wow. this stuff. And, uh, and man, that was like one of the coolest nights ever. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's one of them. I'm sure there's there's quite a few more. Uh, one of Taylor Swift's shows on her 1989 tour was sure. like, fantastic um sure. yeah uh there's a lot but well, uh yeah that's a little bit well uh, trey tell us where where can people find you i mean i know you're all over the place but what are some social media places you know um where can they stream your music give us all the plugs okay sure uh well you can stream me anywhere you listen to music uh as far as social media on instagram and twitter and facebook it's just at trey pearson and then on tiktok it's the real trey pearson i'm not a TikTok head too much yet, but I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of fun, and uh, um, you know, Semler is teaching me all the ways because <laughs> they they kill it. It's it's awesome, but uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of it, I guess. But Spotify, Apple Music, you can find me on all those things, and um, yeah. 
Awesome. Well, Trey, honestly, it was a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your, you, too. you know, just your story and your honesty. And I, I know a lot of people in our community um, actually have somewhat of a similar story. I, I, I meet a lot of people in our DMs who have somewhat similar trajectories. So I know this is going to help them uh, just kind of navigate mm. that time. But also as an artist, I appreciate your vulnerability because I don't think people understand that that part of the job as an artist is to really put yourself out there in the public and accept the rocks sometimes and stones, but also the love. But it's, it's, it can be a double-edged sword. So I appreciate you doing the work that you do. Mm, well, thank you so much. It's been, a, it's been an honor to get to be on your podcast. Well, hopefully I'll see you maybe sometime with uh, Trip Fuller. We'll, we'll, we'll all meet up for a beer or something. Sounds awesome. <laughs> love it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim.